Hello, and welcome to a special edition of the Final Mile Club podcast, or as I like to call it, FM Radio. This series explores life after graduation through conversations with industry professionals across the fields of the arts, media, performance, and design, and beyond. My name is Sarah Beijung, and I'm the Dean of the School of the Arts, Media, Performance, and Design at York University. This is the second part of a special episode featuring amazing women in the arts, including Mumbi Tindiebwa Otu from Obsidian Theatre, Jennifer Holness, president of Hungry Eyes Entertainment, Beth Jansen, chief operating officer of Toronto International Film Festival, Laura Friedman, producer and director for Wrapped Productions, and Amanda Cordner, theatre creator and screen actor. If you haven't listened to the first part, stop here and head back to episode eight. Otherwise, jump in and enjoy this amazing conversation with some really incredible women across the arts. Thanks. Welcome everyone uh, to our first uh, live recording of the Final Mile Club podcast. Oh, th thank you. Thank you for that, that very spontaneous uh, welcome uh, of, of, of applause. I'm, I'm so delighted. All of this feeds into to questions around the future of work and thinking about economic trends over the past 25, 30 years that have moved increasingly towards uh, a gig economy, which, you know, it seems to me that a lot of fields are now adopting the precarity models of the arts and not knowing how long you were going to work or where the next job was going to come from and, and, and really making and finding the work being a critical part. So thinking really critically um, about what are the potential for changing models of work uh, in our respective fields, uh, you know, waiting for institutional change, but also thinking about, you know, what are the what are the current critiques and, and what does that look like? Yeah, I, I would love to see actors be paid to audition. That would be that would be because it's uh, it's really quite a lot. Like um, just a, uh, just a universal just pay an actor to audition, and and it's, it gets expensive. But you just but that that would be a, that would be a goal I would love. And uh, I think the um, the the other thing that uh, even when you're talking about all these programs, the thing that we've I found the we we have this training program that we just started for uh, it's called Young Gifted and Black, and it's to train artists who are not performers but who are wanting to be designers, directors, producers, and just non-performing industries. And we had this was our first year, so we are learning a ton from doing this, and it was spread out over you know, 14 months, which we are learning is also a challenge because of the gig economy, because in terms of people are trying to fit in other gigs around the program and it's challenging. So it makes me wonder about also us trying to find ways to 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 make it less of a gig economy, to try and make if it's shorter, you just you know you're paid for four months or five months. I think that it's just really hard. It's really hard for artists to just, there's so much burnout in terms of you're in rehearsals for one show and you're thinking, I, I have to, am I called tomorrow? Um, can I fit in that audition? Because I still don't know what my next gig is going to be at the end of this contract. So I think it's just residency programs that are, that are that are more, you know, less gig-like, even if it's even if it's like a, a bit of mix, making it a bit of a longer gig. I'm really interested in the in the resident companies thing. I mean, all our shows that we do at Obsidian are different, but really interested in the idea of like hiring people for 
to work on all the shows in the season. So it's less of a gig for, for and even if that changes year, year to year, at least there's some stability for, for the people who are working on the shows that you're, that you're producing year to year. So I think it's definitely, and also the, the virtual model, I think, uh, of um, the hybrid of like, it's always great to meet people in person when you're auditioning, but sometimes a virtual thing has allowed for us to, to be able to make it more, more workable in terms of being uh, people being able to, to, to slip out in, a, in their lunch, lunch hour or whatever, have a meeting, have an audition, and then go back to the current gig and honor that commitment. So it's just, just kind of opening up to being flexible as to not just the way things have always been, but actually trying to be creative as to how to best support the humans that you're, you're hiring or wanting to hire. Mm-hmm. Do you think, though, mm-hmm. a non-for-profit could support paying every actor for every audition? Even a callback. Just a callback. Call even, even, even if it's like $25, you're honoring that person has to like, yeah. you know, even $10. I just feel like if we could just find a way to just acknowledge that this is, this is, it's free labor. Um, I mean, it's, you know, it's work. It's work in the sense that, you know, of course it's helping you develop and become a better artist or whatever, but it's, it's still, it's, it's free labor. Like we get, you know, you get, you get, you have to pay when you, I remember when you're uh, applying for university or (laughs) anything, you have to pay an admin fee for almost every single application application you have to do in your life. It's like, and that's a filing fee or an administrative fee or whatever it's called. And that is something that we've come to accept um, in, in so many of the applications we have to do to live <laughs> and to just move through society. So I just wonder, just, it's just that acknowledgement of, um, of that. You know, I'm going to be, um, is it the angel's advocate? Uh, <laughs> yes, angel's, yes. <laughs> you know, he, here's the thing, though. Okay, so I've been working for a very long time and I had to figure out everything I, I, I did, actually. And one of the things that worries me is that it is actually a privilege to have your creative idea be the thing that gets to shape your community, your country, globally. This is the work we do. And that work is incredible. It takes a lot of time, unless you're born a genius, or you have parents who've been teaching you since you were little, so by the time you're 20, you seem like you're a genius. Um, Unless that's the case, it takes a lot of time to get really, really good. And that means your free labor is necessary. I worry that we, everything gets so monetized that Real art doesn't come to fruition because people are like, I just, I do worry about it, that they're like, I need to get this 25 bucks to do this thing. I mean, like, I even now, I'm up till two, three, sometimes four in the morning. There are days I don't actually sleep because I'm trying to get this thing right and perfect. 
And if you don't come from that school of thought where that's normal, I worry about where the art goes because it actually, I see, you know, some nodding there. <laughs> because the art takes this much time. I have to say this. So I, I feel, so for example, one of the things, but on that level, let me just say what I do. So now, whenever I apply for funding, every project that I'm developing right now, I go to the broadcaster and I say, can I get 10 grand, $15,000, to bring in a writer who's a junior writer, and they're just going to be in the room, and they're going to learn, and they're going to be with us for six weeks, two, two months or whatever, and they're just going to learn stuff, and I'm going to ask them to research, and I'm going to ask them to, maybe I'll ask them to write a scene, maybe I won't. Maybe I'll get them, I don't know, it just, just depends on who they are. But every project I get development funding on, I ask for this money now, right? So that's it. So that's, you get to learn, and you have to deliver. Because I worry, because I'm seeing it, that... With the, some of the money that's coming out there, it's kind of like this, like, oh, it's there, and I'm going to leave at six. I don't even know what that means. I've had people come up to me and say, oh, I can't have a meeting with you past six o'clock because I have this thing where I just work at the latest at six o'clock, and nine to six is the biggest, and so, and I don't work on the weekends, so yeah. So, so literally, we schedule a meeting two months later because my fucking schedule is insane and I'm up all the time doing all kinds of shit and it's, oh, sorry. <laughs> this, is, this is a university, not a, not a, not a daycare. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and I just want the people who are coming for to know that, yeah, you can follow that model of like, yeah, you know, do you, someone else is going to be working their ass off and they're going to get that job that you're not going to get. That's my take on it. So, so this is a, uh, I'm just going to name the tension um, uh, because, and I, and I think this is actually very much tied into changing models of work. I mean, the, the arts are historically based on exactly what you're talking about, right? Uh, uh, you know, a, a kind of, you know, that almost the struggle is part of the refinement of the, of the process. And I don't think anyone on this stage or anyone who's had any kind of professional success doesn't understand what it is to put in extra hours and, and work really, really hard um, at something. And at the same time, there is also this, this narrative um, that, that perhaps can be taken too far, but does sort of recognize that, that it's very easy to burn out in those models. And, and if, the, if the message is somebody is always working you know, someone everywhere is always working, and if you're not working, like they're going to beat you, right? Which I, which I think is, is both a reality, but also a, 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 a mentality. I guess my question is, and I'd be curious to hear from others, like where do you draw the line, and how do we help? How do we grow our fields and our disciplines and our and our industries and our and our and our communities, in ways that grow and strengthen and have rigor? but also do not, like, are human-centered and human-scaled and do not burn out or, uh, you know, like, really damage some of our most vulnerable, you know, folks before they can really even get their start. And, and I mean, I, I ask this as an educator because I think this question of, of excellence, rigor, um, but also care and compassion and 
has been a, a real uh, a real debate and a real um, you know we've we've given this a lot of attention, particularly through the pandemic, and trying to to help people you know be challenged enough that they really grow um, without without feeling like we're we're stunting them because because they're burning them out too young or something like that. So I again I'm no answers from this end of the couch, but um, other other perspectives um, on this. Yeah, I definitely think you can rest and be excellent. You don't have to drive yourself into the ground to be number one. You can really uh, find uh, a very, very balanced life in the arts. Uh, there are perfectionist fantasies. There are a lot of like, <laughs> um, just ways of, thinking and working that don't help you perpetuate the cycle of misery and what do miserable people do but try to get everybody else around them miserable and it's just not functional. And I 100% believe that you can have um, work hours where you don't you don't answer emails past this time or I think setting boundaries for yourself is so important and necessary and you will make it to wherever you want to be. You don't have to strip yourself to death to get this thing. And what is that thing? You have to examine that for yourself, right? When have you made it? What is that what is ambition to you? What is that level of, you know, if, if I'm not working, then I'm nobody. That's, that's a deeper internal problem you need to resolve for yourself. And I urge you to do that first and foremost before creating anything or, or getting into this. Um, a professor here said this to me on our, or of the class on the first day, this is philosophy of religion. He comes in. And he's like, in case you all forgot, you're going to die. And then he went on to <laughs> the lesson. And I never forgot that, <laughs> you know, and really has been the mantra of my life and how, and I have an app on my phone that reminds me five times a day, you're going to die. Don't forget, you're going to die. And there is uncertainty in this life and so in this business. And if you are not comfortable with that, this isn't for you. There are tons of jobs, tons of jobs you can get that offer the illusion of security, <laughs> I think. The illusion, people get passed over, moved over, fired, let go out of nowhere with no explanation, and then what? Everything you work towards, what? So there's space for rest. There's space for brilliant art. There's space for uh, whatever you want create it for yourself. I think where my hard lines are, um, being on time. That's where I have no room for <laughs> any kinds of, um, and I think that came with my theater training too. If you're 15 minutes early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. If you're late, you're fired. That's what my professor here, Peter McKinnon, first year stagecraft told us. And again, the driving force of my life, I guess. I know things happen to people, but if we all agree, if we're all getting paid to put this thing together, why are you late? If we all have made this agreement to 
uh, tell a story, to create a piece, out of respect for the community that has come together to do this, I don't want to be late. I don't want anyone waiting for me. And time is money, and that's real. That's real. I don't care. <laughs> and if we all agree to be here and we start at 9, we're starting at 9. And of course, circumstances come up. Of course, be gentle with yourself. You're human. Things happen. But the precedent needs to be set, I think. All in every room, directors, whoever you are, our start time is nine, we start at nine. You're not coming in at nine, getting coffee at nine, going to the washroom at nine. No, you roll up and we start at nine o'clock. That's what we agreed upon, right? Those are my hard lines, that's my line. Yeah. Yeah, let's start at nine. Let's start, let's start at nine. nine. <laughs> if we agree, if that's the agreed yeah, time. Yeah, no. That's and community agreements have become very popular in, in rehearsal halls on the first day in terms of everyone actually just so there's no assumption as to, you know, like may, that may be something that you hold you. But then someone else may be like, I don't understand. So like yeah. actually articulating these things collectively together on the first day that's and so that everybody knows what you're saying yes to in terms of process and how you're going to be working. So that's become something I've, I've been seeing a lot, a lot more. Um, and, you know, our industry has changed a lot in terms of even five-day weeks versus six-day weeks. And yes. there's a lot more flexibility now. Like, you know, theater was like going for the marathon, you know, 10 to 6, 10, Monday to Saturday, you know, six weeks and oh, however many weeks before you go into a tech and then you go into. But now, uh, depending on the context and the length of your process, there's been, there's been more. You're seeing more Monday to Friday get a regular weekend. And these are all conversations that are coming out of the pandemic uh, in, in attempts to acknowledge the, the life-work balance of, of uh, being an artist. Yeah, and that is when we talk about institutional change, um, it often sounds impossible. And like, how do you even, what does that mean? Does that mean tearing everything down? And the way that you know, I've come into the Academy, which was, you know, 70 years old, and TIFF, which is almost 50 years old. That'll make you feel old. Um, <laughs> like, it's actually about just naming it. It's what you're talking about. It's about a community agreement. So what you find in these institutions is what I think of as, like, the country club rules, right? So, like, nothing's written down, but, like, everyone knows that you you know, that you do this before you uh, sit down. And everyone knows that you don't bring this up in this meeting. And so what I have been trying to do, and it's a lot of work, but just like write it down because you automatically have no equity if you have 50% of the people coming into the room and they already know the rules because, you know, their parent was in the industry or something, you know, um, like that. So I think the assumptions that's where institutions can really make significant change by what is the language you use in your hiring and your job descriptions? You know, what is, if you say that you have the work hours, what happens when you go over those work hours so that it is equitable and everyone understands? And our whole industry, and I can't speak for the other industries, but it's just rife with, like when I was coming up, you know, like you got there before your boss and you never left before your boss. like going into an institute and that was like that was an unspoken rule you know and you picked up that phone um 
I started working before cell phones, guys. That's how old I am. Um, you, you know, like you just there were no there were no rules, right? And I I get because I came up in that same way. But when I think about what younger people are trying to push for, I'm you know like that would be better. <laughs> so you know, a part of me is like, yes, let's just name the rules and so that everyone can play the same game, you know, and we're not having some people who know the secret rule getting ahead. I, I, sorry, it's always a problem when you try and use a sports analogy in an arts crowd, especially for me. Some I'm always like, kick it out of the, the park. I love the sports like, analogies no. in, a, in an arts crowd. But. <laughs> no, well, I think, uh, but the other thing that occurs to me is that when you name the rules, you also give people the freedom to make their own choices. Yes, right? totally. Like, these are the expectations. Yeah. But there are some folks, right, some of us work really, really well in the middle of the night. Some yep. of us, you know, need it to be like in the in the nine to five, you know, but but at least it gives everybody clarity and um, and parameters and choice so that you can decide how you want to work and, and what's, what's you know, what works best for you. Laura, what you were going to um, say something. I think the, what was the question? Where do you draw? Where, where, do, you draw? where do you draw the line? So where or, I or, had to draw the line was when I got sick. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like at the at the time, I was I was a single parent of two for five years, and my mom and my partner, who are here with me <laughs> today, um, were kind of my support system. And I and I won't lie that I I did get to a place of sickness because there was burnout, because there was you know three jobs, two kids, COVID shut down, blah blah blah, no community, no people around you, just a very few, you know you're just strained in all areas, but. Something, you know, I've come out of that, but something that's really helped, there's two things that have really helped me, is the recognition that um, things will happen in seasons. I like to think of it in season. Like, this is going to be winter now, so I'm going to hibernate and create. And there's going to be a summer where we're going to have to be uh, sitting there and writing a million applications and going out there and doing things and just not thinking as linearly, uh, in a linear way of, you know, just nine to five, this thing that has been put in our brain, that things happen in seasons, and even within one project, there are many seasons in that project. There's a time where you hunker down and you have to do, 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 and, there, and I know that winter and fall are going to come and I'm going to be able to rest. So that's just conceptually something that's really helped me um, around the, the, this gig economy thing. I actually sometimes also advocate, I kind of do like the gig economy. I've been doing, I've been freelancing since, I don't know, 2000 and something. Um, and there's this freedom that you get as well in it. There's, there's, you know, there's a classic nine to five jobs, but there's also, you can get really creative when you're freelancing and you're doing this kind of work. And you can actually build a life that you really love where you create your own balance and you say, I'm going to work really hard for two weeks. And because I did, I get to take four days off and do something different. So, so you get to be really creative. So I wouldn't necessarily uh, demonize or say like the, the gig economy. It, it, it can lead if you are not balanced, if you are not centered within yourself, if you are not aligned with what you want and you're not acting from that place of authenticity within yourself where you can go off course and burn out. But um, uh, that's that's one thing, and, and and last thing is that what has helped me has really to, been to create a community of fellow creators around me that really support me, and I've kind of systematically built that community around me because I need them to survive. I need my fellow 
creators to support me along the way when I sent, I spent two weeks putting 20 applications and I got 19 rejections and one yes, you know? I, I, you do need that community of, of creators that have gone through the process, that are going through the same process. And where, so I, I kind of have once a week where we meet and we talk about, I kind of feel like I have imposter syndrome right now. Or I don't know if this, what I wrote is good, or this sucks, or you know, just that is, it sounds really nice, but it goes a long way if you build that culture in your way of work mm -hmm. to create these networks of support with you. Um, it really, it's somewhere where you can fall in for, for strength and inspiration when you feel weak. I, th I think that reminder of the, the need and the value of community is probably could not be uh, said too much. So thank you for, for that. And, and, and for all of these reflections, uh, they're, they're really helpful. You've been listening to the Final Mile Club Radio, a production of the School of the Arts, Media, Performance, and Design at York University with generous support from Jennifer Ivy Bannock and members of the Dean's Advisory Committee. You can hear more exciting episodes by subscribing to this series or joining the AMPD Final Mile Club on LinkedIn. Do you have a burning question about life after graduation? Email us at fmcr at yorku.ca and we will be sure to pose it to a future guest. Thanks for listening and remember, although the way may be long, you don't have to go it alone.